Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. The word on the screen is flee. There's actually two imperatives in our lesson for today from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. The first one is flee. The second one is glorify. So we'll start with the one about fleeing. As we do so, we need to to go to Genesis 39 to get a a good little story about this. And so we're going to look at Joseph. Now, what we know first off is that Joseph had those dreams. He was his father's favorite. And so his brothers hated him because he was his father's favorite and he was the one treated so well. And so one time when Joseph came to check on his brothers, his brothers took him and threw him into that pit. And then they said, hey, let's make some money off of him. So they sold him into slavery and he ended up in Potiphar's household. Now I'm going to read to you a, a good portion here from Genesis 39. From that time he put in from that time he, Potiphar, put him, Joseph, in charge of his household, and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph, he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife." How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him his story. That Hebrew slave you 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 brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of his house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your master treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Flee what, does it say in our text for today? Flee from sexual immorality. Now, you might be saying, well, we're an older congregation. That's not so much of an issue for us. (laughs) You have kids. And they have kids. And last time I checked, even though our bodies may not function as well as they once did in this area, the brain still struggles with some of these thoughts. At least if I check with other folks. And so if that's still the case, we're still called to flee sexual immorality. That's what Joseph did. He said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, if you were in Joseph's place, and you are the father's favorite, and you didn't do anything wrong, 
and you were just out checking on your brothers like you were supposed to, and they took you and did this horrible thing, okay? And they put you into the pit. And they did something even far worse, and they took you and they sold you to these foreigners, and they went off, and now you're enslaved to someone. You were the highest, you were the best of the sons of your father, and now you're a lowly slave. God's still taking care of you, but this is not fair. This is not right. How do you handle it when life's not fair and when life's not right? Do you, are you like, you know what, life's not fair, God's in charge, life's not fair, this is horrible, things are not going the way they're supposed to, this is not good, God, therefore, you, you made this bed for me, so I'm going to lie in it. Does that ever happen? Not, not with you, of course. But does that ever happen with people around us? We, we say, well, look how horrible our situation is. Therefore, I have every right to. And, and who's going to know? Potiphar's gone. The wife is here. None of the servants are here. Who's going to know? I'll just indulge. But he doesn't. Are there ever excuses that we give ourselves? You know, if I just do this, that'll just be great. Whatever it is. Sexual, or it mentions food earlier in the text. And so, like in our, in our day today, we tend to think, you know what? Sex is just like food. It's just an appetite I need to fulfill. You see, sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. Have you experienced that recently? If I just let this thought keep going in my brain, if I just say these words to someone else, if I just think this lustful thought, if I just go to this place on the computer, if I just do whatever, that's going to be the best. And then you do, and then you discover that sin always under-delivers. You see, Satan is great at making these promises, saying, if you just do this, remember Satan in the garden? He comes to Eve and he says, you most certainly won't die. Lie. And she takes it. Remember how Satan is busy lying to Jesus there in the wilderness when Jesus is being tempted by the devil? He says, throw yourself down from here. His angels will take care of you. Like we're supposed to tempt God in that way. And then you get to our text for today. And if you look at that very first verse, verse 12, these are put in quotes to remind you that they're really just sayings that the Corinthians are using. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Okay, And it's almost as though Paul had said this, something like this or this, but they're taking the quote out of context and they're making it say what they want to say so that they can, you know, there's two ditches we can fall into. We can follow after Jesus, but one of the ditches is legalism. If I just do all these things right, then God will love me and God will accept me. Okay? Galatians 5 says, don't go back to that. You're free. Be free. Okay? But the other side says, hey, you know what? Because I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever I want to. It doesn't really matter what I do. God's love and forgiveness are there for me, so I can just take and manipulate God however I want to. Even when it came out of my mouth, the whole idea of me saying, manipulate God however I want to, 
makes me kind of cringe. Now, all of us know that there's no way we can manipulate God. God knows us to the nth degree. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the words before we speak them. He knows what's going on completely within us. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He knows us so completely and yet continues to love us. Can you and I ever manipulate God? We're sheep. He's the shepherd. We're not smart enough. The question, though, is none of us would actually ever think we're manipulating God. We just want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And if we, if we can come up with an excuse like, well, my God's a loving God, and he just wants to forgive, and so I just can't help it. Now, what I want you to hear is that it wasn't just a one-time thing for Joseph there in Genesis 39. Did you pick up when I read where she came after him day after day after day after day after day? What are those things that you hear and struggle with day after day after day after day after day? For our young people, maybe even for you, okay, it is sexual stuff. How long do you have to watch the TV before you see something sexually inappropriate? They sell everything with sex today, don't they? And so that's a major problem. How much TV do you have to watch? How much do you have to be engaged with others? How much news do you have to listen to before you hear Satan's lies coming through? Let me give you some examples of those lies. The government is here to fix everything. No matter who's in charge in the government, they can take care of it. If you have just a little bit more stuff, then you'll be happy. If you get this new gadget, that'll take care of everything for you. You'll be as pleased as pie. There's all these lies out there that, and there are some things that are true that we take and we turn them for our own benefit. And what's God's word for us today? Flee. And it says in, I think, one of the Timothys, it says to flee youthful passions. I've heard a couple of stories, actually, recently about men in having a midlife crisis and doing things absolutely inappropriate within their own families. Absolutely inappropriate, okay? Because they're in their midlife. And they want to somehow grab life again. Because all this craziness is going on, and because you know, there, there are certain things about them that they just don't feel like they're, they're really being satisfied, and so they're going to go out and do whatever they can do to get what they want. And part of it's sexual. It's very real. It's very prevalent right in front of us. These wrong behaviors fostered by the lies we want to believe because we want to be in control. Just out of curiosity, does this message not apply to you at all? Is there anyone here that there's no lies that you're tempted to believe? There's no struggles at all that God's calling you to flee from? Is there anyone, honestly, is there anyone like that? We all have those lies that are pushed at us, don't we? And we all have those lies that we tend to want to believe because we, we hope that somehow we can find satisfaction under our control. 
satisfying us, pleasing us. And again, it uses the sexual immorality, and yes, it's very prevalent. It's very prevalent in our families. But it may not be that specific sin for you. But think of the lies the devil keeps throwing out. And then compare those. This, Paul writes this right after he speaks these words for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just a little bit earlier, where he says this. Do not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the people there were saying, hey, because Jesus has lived and died for us, now we can do whatever because our body doesn't mean that much anyway. So if I want to go to the temple and enjoy a temple prostitute, just great. I can do whatever I want to because I'm now free in Christ. Do we ever do that sometimes? Not the temple prostitute, okay? But do we ever say we can do whatever we want to because we're free in Christ? That's not what he's saying. And lest you think it's only a sexual thing, let me, keep, let me read those, that list again. After the sexual sins, and he says this, nor thieves, nor the greedy, Well, now you're hitting a little close to home, Paul. Nor drunkards, nor slanderers. What's a slanderer? Gossip, right? Can I slander someone if I tell the truth about them, tell the truth about them in order to harm them? There's no slanderers among us here, are there? None of us overindulge in food. None of us deal with our sexual wrong thoughts or act out on them. You see, this isn't just a sexual immorality issue, and that's, well, I'm sure glad I don't struggle in that area. No, this is a believing the lies. However those might come to you, and this impacts us greatly. Remember Romans 6, that's where we were last week, and Romans 6 says, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. The strongest Greek negation ever. No, 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 no. And so Paul is saying, don't go here. One other place I'd like to take you to, and that's 1 Thessalonians. Listen to what he says here. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means you should be set apart. You should be holy. That you, you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Every time I'm saying, I know God's word says this, but I really want to do this, and I'm going to, I'm going to do it, and then I'll just ask for forgiveness later. When that happens in your life and mine, what we're saying is, I'm not just rejecting some, something. I'm rejecting God who gives us Holy Spirit. I'm rejecting his leadership in my life. Now, how many of us, with a show of hands here, how many of us would just love to reject God in his way? 
That's a silly, stupid question, isn't it? You wouldn't be here on Sunday morning if you did. You wouldn't be joining me if you did. And yet, how many of us find ourselves there far too often? Our lack of vigilance. Our lack of awareness. Our lack of awareness that Satan is always out there. James 4, 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. When I read that this week, I thought, you know what? There's too often when I don't wake up in the morning recognizing that today I'll be engaged in battle. Right? That's why God calls us to put on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Put all those things on so that when the temptations come and the temptation to believe the lies and use things to my own advantage so that I can somehow be in control, that's the battle. I want to be aware of that so that I can deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus. Why? Well, if you look at the text again, it says this. First it says in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. We talked about that last week in our baptism. We're joined to Jesus. And it says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, so you are not your own? You were bought with a price. And as we think about being bought with a price, I want to share with you what that price was. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The precious blood of Christ. And I want to share with you something here. Now, I've been told that a rare Mickey Mantle card was sold for a record-breaking $5.2 million. $5.2. The owner, a billionaire, says, I always dreamt of owning a 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle since I was a kid collecting cards. It's a Mona Lisa of sports cards, and I've been searching for, the high, for this high-graded example, talking to industry experts, dealers, auction houses, friends, and I'm ecstatic that I now am the proud owner of this iconic card. If I had a, a Mickey Mantle, if I was to spend money on a Mickey Mantle baseball card, do you know how much I would spend? Yeah, about that. Okay, I really don't care. Okay, I like sports, okay, but I'm just not into collecting cards. My brother collected coins for a while. The coins I collect go in the bank. I don't really care about collecting coins, okay? We all have our different likes, right? 5.2 million. Do you know what something is worth? Whatever someone is willing to pay for it. That's what it's worth. A Mickey Mantle card to me is worth two bucks maybe, or less, okay? A whole lot more to Kurt. I have three of them, but they're not worth $5.2 million. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't be playing keyboard here. Okay. Think about just for a second. What something is worth is what somebody is willing to pay for it. You, 
my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, have been bought with a price. Do you know what that price was? I read it to you earlier. The very blood of Jesus. God's precious, one and only unique Son died so that God could purchase you. If that's true, how much value do you have? Here's the challenge for you this week. As you live this week and all the pressure comes, okay, because Satan likes to work in two ways, right? Satan likes to tempt you. Go on, Betty. Let's just do this. If you do this, this is going to be great. This will be awesome, okay? And then when she falls, okay, then Satan says, well, what kind of Christian are you? You're just some horrible person. I can't believe you'd be, you would do something like that, right? Isn't that how Satan works? He tempts. And then when you fall, he's like, well, who are you? You're not a Christian, okay? At that moment... When, you, when you're dealing with the temptation and the struggle, and if you happen to see that you fall, or when you fall, because there are times when you will, will you remember that you were bought at a price? Will you remember that you are so valuable to God, not because you're so great, not because of all your skills and abilities and gifts, you're so valuable to God because of what God did for you. And you now are made Precious and valuable because of the blood of Jesus. And he is now the one who works within you so that you can actually say, no, you can actually resist the devil. You can flee so that you might glorify the one who bought you. I don't know how many times I get up in the morning, I'm like, I'm going to do this today. I'm going to have this good day. And so I start off well. And I do my responsibilities in the morning. And I do my responsibilities in the afternoon, but I'm starting to kind of lose a little speed, but I'm doing my responsibilities. And then when the evening comes, you know what happens? Well, I've been working all day. Evening's mine. Right? The evening's mine. I can spend it however I want to. The evening's mine. Do you know what's wrong with that mindset? Is my evening mine? I've been what? I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. I belong to Jesus. Does that mean I can never relax, watch a TV show? No. Does that mean that I get to call my day mine? Do we, do you and I realize what God is saying here? He's saying, I've bought you with a price. Therefore, I make you so much more valuable than you think you could ever possibly be. And your life is mine. Now, your health, you're just a manager of it. Your clothes, all your possessions, your cars, your house, it's all God's. Everything is His. So you know what it says in Matthew 5? You do. I'll just remind you. It says this. You are the light of the world, a light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a, a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
we live as a light. We live differently. You know, if I had that Mickey Mantle $5.2 million card, I'd sell it as quick as I could, actually. But if I was that guy and owned it, you know what I'd want to do? I want to put it out there so everybody could see it. I want to make sure that no one touches it. Okay? But I want to make sure that everyone can see it. Do you know what God does? He puts you out front. And he says, hey, everybody, look, this one's mine. Hey, have you seen Bob? Have you seen Bob? I wish there was another Bob over here. It would be great. Have you seen these different people? They're mine. And as you do, as I do, as we follow Jesus, the world gets to see the difference that Jesus makes in our life so that he might be praised. We don't do what we do so that God will love us. We do what we do because he loves us. So the question today is, what do you need to flee? And how will you be about glorifying God as you flee from sin into the arms of Jesus? How will you now live so that God will be glorified? Those are Paul's words for us today. Amen? Amen.